Good morning, everybody. Um, I got to sit in the back row today while we were worshiping, and I'm looking over all you people, and I'm thinking, I wonder what God has for each one of you. And then we just saw that video of those boxes and how we hear those amazing stories of how that's exactly what that kid was thinking about, you know, and somewhere clear across the ocean, somebody was praying to be led by the Holy Spirit while they're at Walmart of all places, and they just decided to get this one thing, and it met someone's need. And I got to thinking, um, you know, that's a tangible, physical thing, but I was praying that um, as we do get the greatest gift this morning, Jesus Christ and his word, that he meets every one of your needs this morning, just what you need. Some of you have come to break an alabaster flask over his head because you're so grateful for what he's done for you. Others have come hurting. Um, you know, not everybody comes the same way every morning. Uh, everybody's had different weeks. Um, and sometimes I forget that. Um, uh, you know, from being up here, my hair is too short. Okay. Uh, sometimes I come in with my attitude and I figure everybody else is with me on that. And that's not always the case. Not always the case. So my prayer is this morning that as we go through his word, and we'll be in Numbers chapters 1 and 2 this morning, that he meets your needs, um, because that's what he does. It says in his word that he magnifies his word above his name. I got to thinking about that with JC on the way home from getting fit for tux. We got fitted for our tuxedos down in Kansas City yesterday for Seth's wedding, and uh, um, we were thinking, I was thinking about that um, his name is who he is. It's never, there's no, his name's not Bob, Fred, or Joe, the, the God. His name is Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah, and I can never do Sidniku. Someone, can anybody do that for me? No, you can't. Okay, good. I'm not the only one that can't pronounce it. But his name always is who he is, God my provider, God my whatever. And uh, I pray that this morning, that he is uh, he meets your needs because he, he has all of your needs. He's able to meet all of your needs. So in Numbers chapter 1, believe it or not, God can even speak through the book of Numbers. Uh, hopefully you'll be blessed this morning. What, honey? December 2nd. Mm-hmm. It's coming up. No, Utah. He's in Utah. Mm-hmm. That's about as far, isn't it? Well, this first chapter discusses the first census that God authorizes for the nation of Israel to take. Remember, they've, it's been a year now. They're, they're on their way towards the promised land. Um, they've, uh, they've come out of Egypt, and God says, I want you to count the people. Now, this is the first time. The second time they do it is towards the end of Numbers in chapter 26, and we'll talk about that then. You know? But there's two times when the census is taken, and he wants to know. I want you to number the people. Now, God knows. He knows the numbers of hairs on my head. Um, and so he'll also doesn't need anybody to count for him. This is for them. Anytime God asks us to do something, it's, it's for us. It's not for him. I mean, I, he wants to use us, but he by no means has to have us. He, he allows us to be a part of his ministry or to do his bidding or to do his will at different times. And uh, he may call upon us at once or twice in our lifetime, or he may call upon some of us every single day. It depends. Um, but he calls upon us, when he calls upon us, for our sake. He's always looking out for us. He's always looking out for our best. And so he wants them to count. And so it starts off, verse 1, Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tabernacle of meeting, on the first day of the second month, in the second year, after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, 
take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel by their families, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male individually from 20 years old and above, all who are able to go to war in Israel. You and Aaron shall number them by their, by their armies, and with you there shall be a man from every tribe, each one the head of his father's house. And that's our first break. He wants them to count 20-year-olds and up and who are able to go to war. And so um, when Moses describes God at one point in one of his songs, that our God is a Lord of war, he's a God of war, he is. We are in a war. Of course, we've talked about that in the past, but it, it is a war between good and evil. It is a war between um, who's going to win. And, and to say that I'm conscientious objector here in the, in the spiritual warfare, there's no room for that. We've got to be on one side or the other. And so when God says, I want you to do this, remember, I'm taking you into the promised land. I'm going to um, evict all those who have lived there in the past, and I'm going to replace them with you. But it's not going to be easy. There's going to be a battle. They're not going to give up the ground easily. It's going to be a war. He's even preparing them for that in the words that he's using. I want you to count, not to see how big you are or how many people you're going to have to feed in the wilderness. You know, I'm not here to, uh, you know, shake your faith because that would be quite a bit. Quite, I got two million people out here because we're only counting men that are 20 and above. There's tons more people out there than just these guys that are going to count. And we're going to need to feed them every single day with food and water. You know, I'm not here to shake that foundation. I'm not here to shake your faith. I'm here to tell you that you're about to go to war. And it's a war. And I need you committed. I need you in it to win it. When I came to know Jesus Christ, I was aware of that. I don't know if you were aware of that. I don't know how you all came to Christ. It'd be wonderful to hear some testimonies some night. I think we should do that. How you came to Christ. What did Christ do to draw you? What kind of battles did you have to fight? What kind of battles are you fighting kind of thing? But we're all at war. Satan doesn't want you to continue on with him, with, with God, continue on with Jesus, happy-go-lucky. Satan never says, well, I lost that one. I wish he did. I wish he'd forget all about those people that came to know Jesus. I wish he'd leave all of us alone, but he won't. He's a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. And he looks for opportunities. And sometimes he lies silent in your lives for a long period of time until he strikes at your weakest point because that's the kind of thug that he is. He looks for the weakness. He waits for you to be down and out and he attacks. And he tries to destroy. And that's what he does. Don't forget you're in a war. God doesn't want us to forget that. He doesn't want the nation of Israel to forget that, to let them know the enemy is not going to give up their ground without a fight. So count them, 20 and above. Verse 5, these are the names of the men who uh, shall stand with you from Reuben. Now, Reuben's long since gone. <laughs> Reuben's not alive right now, but his tribe is, and so they're going to pick now. They've got Moses as the head. This is the setting up of the government. They're setting up government. We've got Moses as the head. It's a theocracy. So Moses, here's from God. There's Moses. And then I want you to use Eleazar from that tribe of Reuben. And then we've got Simeon, who's long since gone. Shall, <laughs> bear with me, shall you meal, shall you meal, um, I know that's not how it is, but I'll, I'll do the best I can. He's from that tribe. From the tribe of Judah, I want uh, Nahashon. From Issachar, I want to use Nathaniel. 
Um, from Zebulun, I want to use Iliab. Uh, from Joseph, he's going to split off into two. There's Ephraim, long since gone. Manasseh, long since gone. Ephraim, we're going to use Elishema. And from Manasseh, we're going to use Gamaliel. Okay? From Benjamin, we're going to use Abidin. And from Dan, we're going to use uh, Ahizer, Ahizer. From Asher, we're going to use uh, Pegiel. And from Gad, um, Al- Al- Elias, Eliasaph. From Naphtali, Ahire. Those are the guys. So you've got Moses, and then you've got the 12 underneath. I want those guys to be in charge. So we're breaking down into groups, okay? Um, and that's a theocracy. It's how it was supposed to be. That's God-ordained. Um, and it's going to go for a very long time until they get to the judges. And then once they have the judges, then they're going to move to a kingdom mentality, kings and princes and all that, and it just kind of goes downhill from there. They didn't do so well after they asked to have a king like everybody else. This is God's ideal, is to have a theocracy. And so he's setting that up for them. Before they go to war, you've got to establish your leaders. Before you can win a war, you have to establish your leaders. There's got to be a coordinated effort, you know. Um, God is a God of order, and we're going to read about that later on here. God is a God of order. Verse 17, Then Moses and Aaron took these men who had been mentioned by name, and they assembled all the congregation together on the first day of the second month, and they recited their ancestry by families, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and above, each one individually. As the Lord commanded Moses, so he numbered them in the wilderness of Sinai. Now, we know that Moses is the writer of these first five books. He's documenting for us what he went through. But you'll see throughout how many times God said it. And Moses doesn't need to declare it, but he does declare it. And then we did it. He said it, and then we did it. Never, be confu- never confuse the fact that you heard the command of God as obedience to the command of God. Just because we've heard the commands of God, memorized the commands of God, have them even hidden in our hearts, doesn't mean we've obeyed the commands of God. There has to be the doing afterwards, and that's what James is all about. I'm glad you know all this stuff. I'm glad you're professing your faith verbally, but let me see it. I want to see it. There's, that's the only proof we have that it's actually taking an effect on your life seeing the effects through obedience, through actually doing of it. And so you'll see that documented several times. And then they did it. Now verse 20, Now the children of Reuben, Israel's oldest son, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names. I'm only going to read this one time. They do it for all 12. So bear with me as I go through this once. By their father's house, according to the number of their names, every male individually from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the, of the tribe of Reuben were 46,500. So there's our first number. Can you put that one that's uh, the graphic, not, not the actual pictorial of an artist's rendition? That's just how it's going to look like. So you can kind of see they're, they're showing you how they're going to camp here. And so we've done, who did I just do? Reuben. 46,500, bottom right-hand corner, okay? That's what it looks like. As we go through this, you can kind of follow all the way around the the clock there. The second group is Simeon, 59,300. Gad, 45,650. Are we matching up number-wise? Okay, good, making sure. Uh, Issachar, um, or did I do Judah? Judah, excuse me, Judah, 74,600. Where are we? Okay, over on the 
up there. Issachar, 54,400. Zebulun, 57,400. Joseph, 40,500. Manasseh, 32,200. Benjamin, 35,400. Dan, 62,700. Asher, 41,500. Naphtali, 53,400. And... uh, and then finally, we have, uh, let's see, yeah, a total of 603,550. That's the total of men 20 years old um, and above that are able to go to war. Now, you can imagine then you've got definitely the same amount of girls as that, so we're up to you know a, a million two at that point. Plus, you've got elderly, and plus you've got young children all under the age of 19 and below. So you're very close to 2 million people out there is the guess. 2 million people out there camping. Now it says that the Levites, which are right around that tabernacle in the center there, they're not numbered. I don't want them numbered. Um, and they, I'll read that to you. But the Levites were not numbered among them by their father's tribes. For the Lord had spoken to Moses saying, Only the tribe of Levi you shall not number, nor take a census of them among the children of Israel. I don't want you to number the priests. You know what? The, you, there's a lot of correlation between New Testament saints and the Old Testament priests. There's a lot of similarities there. Our responsibilities and what we do here on earth. Can you imagine if they had given us a number of the Levites? What we would be doing with books and writing books on it? Well, once we reach this number, that's all the saints that are ever going to be saved because we do that. And so God conceals this, I believe, on purpose so that we don't get off track or think that there's some limited amount of people that can be saved, okay? Um, anyway, Levites, that's them. I don't want you to number them, but you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of testimony, over all its furnishings, over all the things that belong to it. They shall carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings. They shall attend to it and camp around the tabernacle. And when the tabernacle is to go forward, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be set up, the Levites shall set it up. They're the only ones that can set up the throne room of God. They're the only ones. If anybody wants to come to the throne room of God, they go through those Levites. Now, besides the Levites representing us, remember we have a high priest, a part of that Levitical tribe, that also is Jesus Christ. Remember, he's of the tribe of um, of uh, well, uh, well, yeah, but uh, Melchizedek, yeah, or oh, the order of Melchizedek. But the idea is the same. If anybody wants to get there, they've got to go through him. Okay, that's there's a picture there for us. And so they camp all the way around the tabernacle. So anybody from the tribe that has to any tribe has to go through the priests. There's no other way to the tabernacle but through their campground. So there's some symbolism there that God's trying to get across. The children of Israel shall pitch their tents, everyone by his own camp, everyone by his own standard, according to their armies. But the Levites shall camp... Now, he doesn't say families or tribes. He's using some specific language for them. Your armies, uh, for war. You see what I'm saying there? He's trying to get their their mindset. Um, We're a team, basically. And there is an uh, an adversary or an opponent um, so I want you to do that. You're going to be you're going to be camping in those same places every single time we set up camp. You're you're in the same spot. Um, but the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony, that there may be no wrath on the congregation of the children of Israel. And the Levites shall keep charge of the tabernacle 
of the testimony. Thus, the children of Israel did. There's that thing again. There's, there's where he writes that down. We were told what to do, and that's what we did. We, we didn't camp out of order. We didn't come up with a better, improved plan. We did it just like God told us to do it. We, he, he, he let us know, and, and that's what we did. Now, this is that first census, 603,550. The next one in chapter 26 is actually less people. I just want to, I'll tell you, there, there's less for 40 years, they're going to wander around in the wilderness, and there's going to be less people. Now, for 400 years, these people were slaves, but crying out to God, and grew from 70 to 2 million. For 40 years, they're free from slavery, but they're not following God, and they reduce the numbers. They don't grow. They don't repopulate. They don't, there's something wrong. We could talk about it physically. I don't know what the family situation was in Egypt, but when you have a common enemy as a married couple, you know who your adversary is. It's not with each other. It's with that person over there. It's with Satan who's trying to destroy us. It's with Egypt. They're trying to tear us down. Maybe they came together a lot more often. That's all they had was each other. We didn't have possessions. We didn't have thoughts. We didn't have things that were pulling us apart, things that were distracting us. All we have at the end of the day of slavery is each other, our love and our God. And they grew. Maybe. And then afterwards, they get out and all the food's just laying for them every morning when they're walking around for 40 years. They don't really like God. They're out of Egypt. They don't really like their situation. I'm not really happy with the way things are going right now. And all of a sudden, they're not maybe coming together as often as they used to. There's distractions. There's, there's manna to go pick up. As easy as it is, there was no effort involved. I don't know. Spiritually speaking, though, I can tell you this. I don't grow. When I'm not in contact with God, when I'm not listening to Him and doing what He tells me to do, I don't grow spiritually. I've had seasons like that. I think we all have. You get distracted from what you're supposed to be doing. You get distracted from the things that God's told you to do. And although you know you're supposed to do those things, you're not doing them. It takes a long time for you to figure out just because I know them doesn't mean I'm being obedient. I need to be doing them to be obedient. And you don't grow. You can become stagnant, stale. You may even backslide a little bit. Depends. But when you are doing what God's asked you to do, when you're walking by faith, when you're trusting the Lord, when you're crying out to Him on a daily basis as they were in Egypt, you do grow. You do grow. Tough times help us grow. They really do. They make our walk with Jesus deeper. They reveal our walk with Jesus for what it is in the tough times. How stable was it beforehand in the good times? I don't know. I don't know until the wind and the waves hit the foundation of my life before I know whether it's going to crumble or not. And when it does and I begin to crumble, that's okay. I'm glad I know it now. Because that means I wasn't built on the right foundation. Something's been wrong with my walk for a very long time. And when this trial hit, it knocked me off my feet. There's something wrong. But that's good. Because now you can rebuild. Now you can build it stronger. I think every time a hurricane hits or something breaks when a hurricane hits, it shows them the weaknesses. Ah, didn't think about that. I mean, we plan. We do the best we can. We engineered the levee system the way we thought it should work 
But see here, see these weak spots? Now when we rebuild, what do we do? Build those weak spots again? No. We build it up. We make it stronger. We fix the problem. But you wouldn't have known it until the hurricane hit. Now it's hard. It's hardship for everybody, and it's not fun, and nobody likes to muck out their house because of a weak spot. But it's good to know, and it can be cleaned up. I was thinking about that oil spill years ago in the Gulf of Mexico, and I thought, oh my goodness, what a disaster, what a tragedy, what a horrible thing. And this is a disaster. I don't know how they're ever going to recover from this. I mean, this is because I know what it looks like when you spill gas or oil on your grass or something like that, and that's the mentality I'm using. I'm like, it's dead forever. That's like just ruined ground. It'll never, and that's in the middle of that Gulf. Oh, it's just going to be a dead, it's going to be like the Dead Sea. There's going to be horrible. All of a sudden they say, yeah, but that bacteria that eats oil has taken care of it all. What? There's a bacteria that eats oil and reco- they could, re- without having to scoop up, I mean, they did do their skimming and they did everything they could, but a lot of it sank to the bottom once it attached to stuff and went down. And there's a bacteria that ate it? Well, that's encouraging. It's not a lost cause. Way to go, God. You've made some bacteria that eats oil. Who would have thunk it, you know? And it was encouraging. It was a little dumb. I mean, it's kind of a small thing for me, but I took heart. I was like, you know what? There's a lot of stuff I don't know. Believe it or not, I told myself. And you know what? He can do that in anything. There's a lot of stuff we don't know about him. There's a lot of stuff we don't know about what he can do and what he can't do. There's not a whole lot he can't do, is there? Can God make a rock so big that he himself can't lift it? No, he can't. (laughs) he's just way too strong. It's not a philosophical argument. It's just a wonderful, glorious statement of fact. He's way too strong. What can he do for you this morning? What can he do for me? You know, I'm thinking about that. When she pours the alabaster flask on top of Jesus' head, she calls him Lord. But so does everybody else that's reaching up for help. She was worshiping because God had already done something for him and called him Lord. But for those that needed help, they cried out to him by his title, by who he was, by his name. Because they knew that because he's Lord, he can help me. I don't know where you are this morning, but that's how you cry out. And that's the beginning of your healing that God wants to bring to you, the the work that God wants to do in your heart, it starts off with, Lord, your Lord. Right there brings me peace and comfort. I'm not, thank goodness. Your Lord. And since you're Lord of all, and you make bacteria that eats oil, you could certainly do something in this situation, couldn't you? Now, I've been trying to rack my brain to think, how in the world could you fix something like this? It's this broken. But then again, I thought the Gulf of Mexico was shot. And then you came in and did something. I wonder what he can do if we just call him Lord and let him come up with something, you know? And so they do. Right now, they're doing great. Hey, I want you to count everybody. We'll do it. We'll count them. We're on our way to the promised land. We're ready for war. We're ready to go. And it doesn't stay like that, unfortunately. Now, chapter 2, verse 1, and we'll run through this. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Every one of, his ch- of the children of Israel shall camp by his own standard beside the emblems of his father's house. They shall camp some distance from the tabernacle of meeting. But it's always in the center. The tabernacle of meeting is always in the center of the camp. 
and their tents are pitched in such a way that the doors of their tents are always facing the tabernacle. Doesn't matter which side you're on, east, west, south, north, whatever, you are pitching it with it. First thing you see in the morning, the morning sacrifice smoke coming up. You see your high priest busy in action, and you see the sacrifice being offered up on your behalf. It's the first thing they saw every single morning. Every evening, they'd see that evening sacrifice before they went into their tents. They'd see the glow, maybe, of the fire. They'd see, the, obviously, the Shekinah glory and the smoke of God uh, you know, hovering over that, knowing that God was with them. That's a good night's rest. You know? As you think about yourself as two million people, that's a lot of people, by the way. <laughs> if you hadn't thought about how big of a campground that would look like. Without a wall with nations all around you that would love to just annihilate you because they're afraid of what you might do to them, that'd be hard to go to sleep with fabric between you and your enemy's sword. I don't know how well I'd I like the fact that I can lock my windows and my doors and my house. I know they can break them and get through, but at least I have some idea. Fabric? But before you go to bed at night, before you go to bed worrying and anxious and all that, the last thing you see is the fire of God lighting up the entire camp like a nightlight in the middle of nowhere. And you realize, I don't really have anything to be afraid of, do I? I can sleep with a clear conscience, without worry, without fear. He brings his beloved rest. He gives his beloved rest by his presence. He doesn't make my problems go away, but he makes my problems really small in his presence. His presence gives me rest. And so that's the last thing they'd see at night when they'd camp all around there. I want you all around me. That's the same for every family. Person, I'll start with person. Each individual has to have God as their Lord. They do. And as God is Lord of your life, then he becomes Lord of your family, whether you're a single or whether you're married. And then he becomes, hopefully as a family, he becomes Lord of your fellowship because families come together to worship. And he's Lord of that city that that fellowship's in, Lord of that state, Lord of that country. And someday he'll be Lord of the world. But it's a blessing to have him in the center of your life. It's a blessing to have him in the center of your family. It's a blessing for you to camp as a church around Jesus Christ and not have him on the outside that you invite in once in a while. It's a blessing to have him in the center of your city, in your city council. It's a blessing to have him in the center of your country or your your state, Eric, you know, seems to be a believer. I don't know. I think he is. The center of uh, the country. I don't know what you think of President Trump, but he reads his Bible every morning. It's not, it's not something he hides. Pence, we know that for sure. Everybody kind of has a real good feeling about him. Everybody, unfortunately, we kind of look at Trump and we see some, I I like what he's doing, but I, you kind of, I hope, here's the thing, never before in President Trump's life has he ever been surrounded by so many believing Christians. I mean, sold out Christians. So appreciate Franklin Graham's ministry. He is saddled up right next to him. Not because he wants power, not because Franklin wants to be known to be next to President Trump, but he needs someone to lean on. If Trump ever needs someone to lean on, there he is, he's right there. It's a good place to be. He's surrounded by people. And so for now, our country is 
surrounded by or facing or focused on and Christ is the center of our country. It's a wonderful thing. The blessings are coming. There's just something about it. But it starts off with me. It starts off with you, of course. Your family's not going to follow Christ if you're not. Obviously, the church won't follow Christ if the families that attend that church aren't following Christ because the church is the people. It's not the facility. And so on. It takes people following Christ to make families following Christ, to make fellowships following Christ, to make cities following Christ, to make states following Christ, to make countries following Christ. It's just how it works. So this morning, that's us. So, they're going to camp. On the east side, he says, and I'm going to, I'm going to not read every single word, sorry. But on the east side, um, I want these guys. Where are we? I want Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. That's who I want on the east side. Um, I know it's on the west, but it's, it's, it should be, yeah. Oh, no, it's on the east. Okay. Judah, that's how I want them to do it. And that's what this whole chapter is about. On the, on the south side, he says, I want uh, Reuben, Simeon, and Gad. Did I do that right? Yeah. Okay. And then he goes next to... Um, <laughs> and, and actually, I, you know, miss it. On, on the east side, those are the ones, these east side, those are the ones that are going to break camp first. And then the south side is going to break camp second. And then, in verse 17, if you want to jump down there to verse 17, and the tabernacle of meeting shall move out with the camp of the Levites in the middle of the camp as they camp... So they shall move out, everyone in his place by their standard. So that's how we break camp, east, south. Now they can move, and they break camp. So that's kind of the order. And then we're going to go over to the west side, and the west side's going to be Benjamin, Manasseh, and Ephraim. They're going to break camp. What difference does it make? I don't know, except that God said this is how we're going to break camp, and we're going to do it this order. One, two, three, four, and then five. Dan, Asher, Naphtali. As a pastor, you're reading this saying, okay, God, how is that relevant? Because <laughs> we don't break camp anymore. Well, it's relevant because God is a God of order. I want you to do it in this specific order, in this specific fashion, and it's going to be this way every single time. Some of the things in our universe that we're discovering scientifically or otherwise scream about a creator, a designer, because of the order because of the tolerances that we fit into, whether that's our earth, can't go two degrees either way, three degrees either way, or we're, we don't have life. None of the balances of oxygen, or, or we're thinking about math. Math is an absolute beautiful picture of God. Mathematics, it's absolutely perfect. There's no, there's no problems with it, and, and we're still discovering it. You know, It's endless on what some of these things. I mean, I went to Algebra 2. That's as far as I went. I know some of you went a lot farther than that, but it took a tutor to get through Algebra 1. and Al- Geometry I got. I could get that. Algebra 1 and Algebra 2, I, I don't know. I'll blame the teacher. It's that teacher's fault, not the student. But it's amazing how perfect it is. This thing about music. Music is a perfect example of God. There's, there's only an octave. There's not nine, there's not ten, there's not seven. It's an octave every time. Why? Why are there harmonies and why are there disharmonies in it? Why is, why is this, you know, six half steps make it a, 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 with the sharp and the C, make it a, why does that make it sound funny to our ears? 
Why is that wrong to us? And why is one half step further right to us? So the number six in math is wrong. But the number seven seems to work as a harmony. Why is that? I'm guessing. I'm way out of my league here because I don't None of these kids that, of mine have musical talent for me. They all come from their mom. But I see it. I understand it. What is that? Why, do you, why when you play that do I feel sad, but when you play it this way I feel happy with no lyrics? Why is that? What is it that invokes? What is it that's caught? There's so much to learn. The idea is our God is a God of order. He loves order. He loves order in government. He loves order in the way we camp. There's room. I don't care if Bob sets his camp, you know, of the tribe of Judah sets it here or in the back row. That's fine. Move around if you want to move around a little bit. There's no places, but you need to be here in this section. God is a God of order. He loves order in my life and otherwise. And he's looking for that. He doesn't want too much order. He doesn't want you OCD. Thank you. Now he's going to land on somebody else. Like It's a box elder, so it's okay. Now you bugged me now. God's a God of order. Turn to 1 Corinthians 14 and then we'll... We'll close up here. We'll finish up here. 1 Corinthians 14. When he talks about the worship place, when we come together to worship, when they came together to worship, Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, I want to see some order. You're, you're, you're full of freedom. Wonderful. You're full of liberty. But Paul says, I want to take some of that away from you. He says in verse 26, I'm going to skip around because I don't want to I don't want to teach the whole chapter, but how is it, brethren? Whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. I want you to build each other up when you come together. But if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at most three, each in turn, not over the top of each other. Or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. Let everybody else know what you just said. Pause and wait for the interpretation of the tongue. Don't just babble. But if you're going to do it, one, two, three, but make sure there's an interpretation. Everybody else can be edified by it. Otherwise, do it at home, he says. Do it at home. Don't do it in the church. Otherwise, keep silent if there's no interpreter, he says. Well, he's squashing my freedom of expression when I worship. No, he's a God of order. You want to sing like a crazy person? Do it in your car. Sing like a cra- I do. I sing like a crazy person in my car. But when I'm with you, it's a choir. It's a choir. We're all together. We sing together. You know, we don't try to outdo one another. Do it together. And that's the whole idea that God is a God of order. And then also, let's, let's look at the last two verses in verse 39 and 40. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid to speak in tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. It ought to be decent at church. It ought to be orderly at church. He likes that. God likes that. I gave these things to you as gifts. I can't stand it at Christmas when everybody's opening presents at the same time. That drives me crazy. And they do sometimes. I say, no, no, that person gets theirs. And we all watch. 
And that person gets theirs, and we all watch. And we appreciate, and we thank, and we do that. But they all start tearing, and the paper's going everywhere. I'm going, no. <laughs> Drives me crazy. I think that's the Lord. I have the Spirit of Christ. I don't know if it is or not. I can imagine when God would show up at the worship services and he'd see all this craziness going on. He's like, you know, easy. Well, now you, you say it. And okay, now you say it. And now you interpret. And then we'll do this. And then we'll do that. It needs to be some reason behind it, you know? Because God is a God. He's really smart. He's not a scatterbrained God, you know? Look how he puts out his word. Genesis to Revelation, it's all laid out just perfectly the way it's supposed to be so they can take us as a teacher from here to there. Anyway, all that from breaking camp. Maybe I made more of it than it was, but God is a God of order. And finally, verse 32 of chapter 2. These are the ones who were numbered of the children of Israel by their fathers' houses. All who were numbered according to their armies of the forces were six hundred. Uh, 603,550. But the Levites were not numbered among the children of Israel, just as the Lord commanded Moses. Thus, the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So they camped by their standards, and so they broke camp, each one by his family, according to their father's house or houses. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Um, this morning, God, you show us that you're a God of order and um, that you had plans and hopes for these folks, that you were going to take them into battle, into war, that the enemy wasn't going to give up the ground easily, but you would be with them. And so every morning and evening, they would see you and be comforted by you. And as long as they did, and as long as we do, everything you show us to do, we have peace. It's when we stop doing what you've told us to do. We just keep it in our brains or in our hearts. I just know it. God, you want us to be doers. So Lord, help us to be doers of your word this week, starting now. If there's anything we've been convicted of here or encouraged in God, help us to hold on to that and then to do whatever you've showed us to do. We love you. Bless these guys as they go. Thank you for meeting us here. Thank you for meeting our needs. Thank you for being the God who provides and takes care of us, Lord. And that you want to, that you love to as a father, take care of your kids. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.